What is up, Outward Church? Good to see everybody. Looks like the word is getting out. It's a, it's a full crowd, full house today. If it's okay with you, I'm just going to hit the ground running here. When you hear the story of the cross, how does it hit you? We just read it. Stephanie just read it for us. How does it hit you? Is it a sad story? Or is it your story? When you hear the story of the cross, do you sit back and do you, and do you watch or do you listen? Is it just another sad story? Or are you in the story? Is it your story? Is, it, is the cross about you? That's what we want to talk about today. I'm afraid that a lot of us are sitting back and when we hear the story of the cross like we just heard read or when we read it, it falls flat and it doesn't affect us much. We're, we're somewhat indifferent to the story of the cross. It's just another sad story that we listen to. If that's our situation, if we're sitting back and we're just watching the story. It's not our story, but we're just watching it. That's a problem. That's a big problem that we need to address. Because if it's not your story, if it's just a sad story, we, myself included, are going to miss the magnitude of the cross. We're going to miss the power of the cross. We can't do that. But, big but, I'm not going to look at anybody when I say big but. I don't want anybody to get offended. But, <laughs> this is supposed to be serious. If we see the cross as our story, if we are seized by this story, if the cross is laid on us, if it's our story, if we're in the story, it will change our stinking lives. I don't, like, don't want to get overly dramatic. I'm two minutes in so far, but how insane would it be if this is our story, if it's, not, if it's not the story of the cross, but it's our story of the cross? What could happen? What could change? Can, can you even imagine what would happen? Lives will be Upended in a good way. Peace and, and, and love and the, and the joy of the cross would wash over people and everything would change in their lives. And my life too. Is the cross just a sad story or is the cross our story? That's the, that's the big idea today. And we're going to walk through the passage and we're going to pull it apart, and we're going to see how this, how this shapes up. We got a couple of different groups we're going to look at. We got the uh, weeping women of Jerusalem that Jesus addresses. And then we got our boy Simon of Cyrene, okay, who's carrying the cross. These are the two characters that I want to compare, contrast, talk about, and go through. So Jesus is 
just experienced some incredible, horrific torture and abuse, beating and mocking. His back is ripped to shreds. His face is disfigured. He's got thorns pounded into his head so that there's blood coming down. I'm sure there's blood everywhere. He's walking up the hill to his death to be crucified. It's very clear where he's going. He's going to die. And he stops on his way up. And he turns. And he has the wherewithal to hear this group of women who are crying for him, who are weeping for him. And he stops and he addresses them. Isn't that insane? Like he's dealing with all this and then he just stops in the, on his way to die and he says, oh, I got a quick word for you. And he says a bunch of stuff, but let's just start with, don't weep for me, weep for yourselves. Don't weep for me, weep for yourselves. It's kind of like when somebody's like messing with you, trying to tell you what to do, and somebody says, hey, why don't you worry about yourself? <laughs> don't worry about me. Worry about yourself. I feel like that's what he's saying a little bit. Don't worry about me. You should be worried about yourself. So let's pull, these, let's pull that statement apart. The first one is, don't weep for me. Second, second part of the statement is, weep for yourselves. Let's pull, pull the first one apart. Don't weep for me. What, why is he saying, don't weep for me? I, let, me, let me rewind. First of all, about these women. Let me give you a little backstory. These are the women of Jerusalem. These are, the, uh, these are professional mourners. These are not Jesus' followers necessarily. These are not the women that are going to be sitting at the cross as he dies a little later in another section. These are professional weepers, saddened by another crucifixion. Another sad story. Is what, they're, is what they're dealing with here. Their, their husbands, their fathers, their brothers. We just heard about last week when Brandon talked about the crowd. And what were they yelling? Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate's like, I don't see any guilt in this guy. Why? I don't want to crucify him. I'm going to release him. They said, no, crucify him. He's, Pilate tries to tell him three times he's innocent. I don't want to kill him. And finally, Pilate says, I wash my hands of it. It's on you. That was their... Husbands, brothers, fathers of these women. Now these women are, are sitting here weeping for Jesus. And Jesus says, don't weep for me. Now wh why would Jesus say, don't weep for me? Is he reprimanding them for, for being sad at this atrocious act? Could it be that compassion here is, is not right? That's not, that's not accurate. That's not what he's saying. Compassion is is good. Being saddened by Jesus' death is not a bad thing, of course. Sadness at injustice, weeping for abuse and the murder of an innocent person is not wrong. If we were there, we probably would have done the same thing. Everybody knows Jesus is innocent, but he's being taken to be killed. We would have been weeping too. Compassion is good. And when we hear a sad story of someone or when you know of someone who's going through a hellish experience in their life, what are we called to do? In Romans 12, weep with those who are weeping. Compassion, sympathy, empathy is good. Like, Don't get caught up. Sometimes as Christians, I feel like we, we, get, we get caught up. We should be robots. Nope, I'm joyful. I'm joyful. 
happy clappy. Like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm doing good. Everything's good. Like a, like a robot or a zombie. That is not accurate, okay? Just to be clear, we ought to weep with people that are weeping. We ought to, like, if somebody's in a pile on the ground, we don't try to, like, force them up. Get on the ground with them. Weep with them. Try to, try to, try to uh, understand where they're coming from. You may not. Like, people go through situations that you can't understand, and so you say that. Man, I'm, I'm so sorry. I have no idea what you're going through. Or, man, I'm so sorry. I totally understand what you're going through. I've been through something similar. Compassion is not wrong here. In fact, compassion shows your humanity. It shows you aren't a psychopath. It, show, it shows you don't have a, a heart of stone. It shows you can relate to people. But compassion is not the solution to our problems. Weeping at Jesus' situation is not how you become a Christian. I've wept uh, during an episode of Dateline. <laughs> Those are sad stories. The guy who, you know, was on a hike with his wife and all of a sudden she fell down the hill, you know? And it's like, hmm, you know, the guy with the white hair, I can't do his voice. Hmm, this looks funny. And then he finds out that he, you know, his last wife went missing. Like, hello, this is a horrific story. This is, this is a sad story. I've wept for, uh, on the news. I mean, like, how many, like, sad stories do we see on the news? From, I mean, just in the last couple of years, from uh, I don't, George Floyd to that uh, little blonde girl who got murdered by her fiancé that was all over the news um, last summer. Like, they're all over the place. Compassion is good, but compassion for Jesus and, and, and sadness for Jesus' situation is, is not the solution to our problems. Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon, says it's actually a good start, though. Being saddened at Jesus means you're actually paying attention to Jesus. Being saddened for Jesus is, is a good start. He's got a quote here. He says, who can weep for the sorrows of Christ? He, let me try this again. He who can weep for the sorrows of Christ may be soon on the road towards weeping over the sin of which cause the sorrow. We are not to weep for Jesus because there's something worse. It's our sin. The sin is something we should be weeping over. And these weeping women of Jerusalem, Jesus is trying to point out, this is worse than what I'm going to go through. Believe it or not, as horrific as, as his situation is, what they're going through is going to be even worse. He, Jesus points out to the, woman, the women something more sad, more troubling, more disastrous, and it's their own situation. Let's pick up at verse 28. Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren, and the wombs that never bore, and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? Just a quick note on that wood he, analogy there. He's saying, listen, if they do this to me, 
What are they going to do to you? I'm the only righteous one. I'm completely innocent. And look at the suffering that's happening to me. What will happen to you? He's just trying to make a distinction between the two situations. And he's alluding to, when he's talking about, um, when he's talking about blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore, he's saying, you're going to be in a situation where you will wish you were never born. It's going to be so bad. And he's alluding to the, to the fall of Jerusalem. He's alluding to the fact that Rome is going to massacre Jerusalem in 50 to 60 years after this. Jesus has talked about this a bunch in the last few chapters. If you've been with us, if you've been paying attention, he keeps mentioning this. He wept over the city of Jerusalem for what's coming. There will not be one stone left upon another. And the reason that Rome would surround Jerusalem, they were going to starve Jerusalem out, or they would starve them out, Nobody would be allowed in. Nobody would be allowed out. People would just become, I don't know, emaciated and, and, and people would be dying. I mean, this sounds, like, this sounds like the Holocaust, doesn't it? This sounds like Auschwitz, some of the pictures that, you, that we've seen from World War II. He's, that's what he's alluding to. But, <laughs> another but, not as big. But. Are we to look at Jerusalem here? Is that what we're to focus on? No. Spurgeon, again, Spurgeon is the greatest. Most of this is from Spurgeon, just to be honest. Make sure we all know where this is coming from. Spurgeon says when Jesus talks about uh, the destruction of Jerusalem, he, like, the language he uses kind of intermixes with the language that is used for judgment day. So he's talking about Jerusalem, but to, for us, we're thinking, oh, dang, he's talking about Judgment Day. And I'll give you an example. Revelation 9, 6 says, and in those days, people will seek death and they will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. Don't weep for Jesus. Weep for the sin that's going to... That's going to create a situation and torment so bad that people will wish they never were born. It is a bitter sorrow, what we're talking about here. For people that do not repent, the sin in their life, the rebellion against God, when you refuse to obey and submit to the rule and reign of Jesus, like that sin starts the torment now. If you don't submit, life will not go as planned and, and the torment will begin. The disaster will begin and it will continue, if unrepented of, forever. Okay, Except for it's going to get much, much worse in the end. That's what we're to weep over, that sin. It's a bitter sorrow for those that don't repent and it's a sweet sorrow for believers. Still sorrowful, but it has some sweetness to it. That's different, huh? Also from Spurgeon. It's sorrowful because our sin put Jesus on the cross. That's what we're to weep over as, as believers. Our sin is what, is what took him up that hill. Our sin is what nailed him to the cross. There's the obvious sins of course, that we all think about, right? The drunkenness, the addiction, the lust, the anger, the greed. 
Those are the obvious ones. I don't know that we all su- that that there's a lot of that here. There's probably some of that. There always is some of that going on. But what about the less obvious sin? What about the less obvious sin that we're we're kind of seeing here? What about the sin of sitting back and not recognizing the story of the cross for what it is? What about the sin of sitting back and being kind of like unmoved by the cross, uninterested in the cross, indifferent to the cross? Is that sin? You better believe it, man. And that's the sin probably that we struggle with. That's the sin that I'm struggling right now. Not so obvious, is it? We don't know one another if we're like, eh. It's a sad story for sure, but it's, I don't know that it's my story. It seems like a lot of work. Jesus, you didn't have to do all that. It's not, I'm, I'm not that bad. I'm not that, it's not that big of a deal. You didn't have to go up and die. The sin of indifference is also rebellion against God. It's a slap in the face to Jesus and the sacrifice that he made to not see it for its fullness, not understand its magnitude and its power to change your life and to not understand your need for the cross. So what do we do about that? What do we do about the sin of indifference? I mentioned it earlier. We got to get in the story. We can't sit back and watch it. We've got to enter into the story. Just like our boy Simon of Cyrene. Let's read verse 26. Simon of Cyrene. This is like an action-packed sentence. Okay? This is going to blow you away. Overpromise here and then underdeliver. <laughs> and as they led him away, they seized, that's key, they seized one Simon of Cyrene who was coming in from the country and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. Wasn't that amazing? <laughs> I'll explain it. Backstory on Simon of Cyrene. He's coming in from the country. I don't know if you heard that. <laughs> He's on his way to the city. I got some business stuff to take care of, maybe. Coming in from the country, heading to the city, cruising along on his own path. And what happens? Uh-oh. He just crossed Jesus' path. He just came face to face with a bleeding, struggling Jesus. He rolls up to this crowd. He looks, at the, he looks at the story. He hears the story. He hears the commotion. And what does he do? He's seized. Did you, hear, did you hear me read that? He's seized by it. Like he doesn't volunteer like, hey, guys, I got this. Nope, this is, just, this is what I do, you know. He's seized by it. He's compelled to enter into the story. He, he, like, he like can't help himself. It's like he's pushed into it, it sounds like. This is the way that we see Jesus. This is the way that we enter into the story of the cross. It seizes us. I know you think in, in Sunday school they said, if you just believe, if you just choose Jesus, you're in great shape. God chooses us before we choose him, just to be clear. If you chose God, it's because he, the Holy Spirit, was inside of you, softening your heart making you need the cross, making you want the cross. It seizes us as Christians. That's the first thing that we ought to learn about Simon of Cyrene. He was seized 
Not something that he volunteered for, but something that happened to him. And then what happened to the cross? It was laid on him. He didn't pick up his cross. Somebody knows that verse, don't you? we got to pick up our cross. That's a different cross, just to be clear. This is Jesus' cross we're talking about. We don't pick up Jesus' cross. Jesus' cross is laid on us. The full weight of it is dropped on us. That's what happened to, that's what happened to Simon. It was laid on him. All of a sudden, he felt the weight of this thing. That's what happens to us. We get to a point in our lives, and we just, I don't know, through scripture, through friends, through, through, uh, through a church, through whatever, all of a sudden, it is revealed to us the weight of our sin, and the cross becomes heavy, and it like crushes you almost. Simon has to bear the weight of the cross. Not his own cross, but Jesus' cross, but he doesn't have to do it long, does he? He just has to feel that weight for a little bit, for a time. He has to get it to the top of the hill. The interaction with Jesus for Simon would change his life forever. Simon of Cyrene would become a Christian, Kent Hughes says, another commentator. He says that because we know his name, because we know where he's from, and because in the Mark account, remember this story is told in all four gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. In Mark, it actually says, Simon of Cyrene, the father of Rufus, and another guy. I forget his other kid's name. We know a lot about Simon. That means it, we don't just have this, this, uh, this one little sentence of Simon, but he went to the cross. He carried the cross up there, and it sounds like he stuck around. He took her, stuck around. What am I trying to say? Stuck. Thank you. If I was smarter, this would go a lot better. What did I say? Like a couple weeks ago, I was like, the crow crowed. The I missed the rooster. All right, there's my one mistake. No more mistakes from now on. I'm totally lost now. <laughs> Simon of Cyrene, what happened to you? Oh, he became a Christian. That's right. We know his kid's name. That means he stuck around, talked to Mark. I'm sure he heard the story of Jesus. He heard all about what happened, and it would change his life forever. Isn't that crazy that Simon would become a Christian? Let's just review real quick what just took place. Simon took the cross, or the cross was laid on him, and he helped carry the cross to where Jesus would be crucified on it. Simon took the very device that Jesus would be tortured on and killed, and, and he took it where it needed to go so Jesus would die on it. In a sense, Simon is helping the Romans and helping the Jews crucify Jesus. How does a guy that helps to crucify Jesus become a Christian? And the answer to that is, how do any of us become a Christian? We're all guilty of the same thing that Simon did. We're carrying the cross. Our sin nailed Jesus to the cross. 
We are all in the same boat. Simon's story is our story. Do you, you getting it? Like we enter into the story. We become Simon. We feel the weight of our sin, weight of our indifference. We weep for that. We got to understand that we brought the cross to where it needed to go. Jesus brought the mercy though. The very blood, get this, the very blood that we're responsible for shedding is the same blood that washes our sins away. How crazy is that? It's a sweet sorrow, sorrowful, and we are weeping for the sin that put him on the cross, but it's sweet because that blood cleanses us. Spurgeon, again, says, I too can say that it is much to me that Jesus died. For though I slew him, yet by his death I live. And by the blood which I drew from his veins, I have been washed and made white. We've got to feel the weight of the cross like Simon did before we can have that weight removed We've got to understand that that's not just the cross, that's our cross. We participated in the crucifixion. We've got to enter into the story in order to be affected by the story. We can't sit back any longer and just watch it unfold. It needs to become our own story. Do you see how Jesus' suffering does not compare with our situation. Jesus' suffering was on purpose. He came to die. He came to relieve us of the condemnation of, of our sin and our rebellion against God. He suffered, but his suffering, his torture, his beating, his whipping, his mocking, the, them spitting on him, all of that would save all of us. That brings incredible joy. A joy that is not just comparable to the sadness, right? A sweetness that's not just comparable to the sorrow, but a joy that's like 10,000 times greater than the sadness. 10 million times greater. Billions of souls, perhaps, have been saved by the cross and Jesus' suffering. And what about our sin? When we compare that, our sin has no benefit. There's, there's nothing good to come from that. Only, only torment and anguish and agony in the future. Unless we take it to the cross and we drop it at the, the foot of Jesus. He'll take it from us. So what do we do? We got to see that we are on our own path. You got to see that we're just cruising. Like Simon of Cyrene coming in from the country. Getting things done. Got to attend to some things. Got to take care of the kids. Got to make some money. Got to go to school. Got to, uh, what, what do the moms do? Got to go to the library. You know, whatever. <laughs> take the kids. That's what, that's what Holly does all the time. <laughs> We're on our own path. We're on our own path and we stop. We're in a crowd. And we hear the story of Jesus bleeding, struggling, broken. We can't just sit back. And just watch it unfold. We can't just sit back and, and hear it. 
It has to be our story. You've got to know that this is your story. Unfortunately, I cannot convince you that it is your story. Or maybe fortunately, because I maybe wouldn't convince you. I can't do it. I pray that, that the Holy Spirit would help you see that that cross is your cross. That that cross is your doing, I should say. It is, it is the Holy Spirit that has to come inside and, and soften our hearts and understand and, and help us understand our need for the cross, not me. But if you want to be seized by the story, if you want the story to mean something to you, that's a good sign. That means God is already in there. That means the Holy Spirit is already inside of you, softening things up making it mean more to you. Praise God if you would even want that. And if you don't even want that, like if you're, if you're sitting back and you're like, I don't know, man, this seems like a lot. This is a crazy story. That's okay. We appreciate you coming. We appreciate you being here. And if and when the cross gets laid on you and you, f and you are crushed by that to some extent and you are struggling, we're here for you. You come back. We will scoop you up. We will scoop you up and love on you. We'll point you to the cross. We'll point you to how great the cross has been to me or to us. And we'll help you along the way. We'll help you to see that that is your story, not just a sad story. Last thing. Once we've been seized by the cross, once we've, once we've wept, for our sin, once we then experience the sweetness and the joy of that cross, the joy of the, of the peace and the, and the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness that comes from that, then what do we do? Then we pick up our cross and follow him. Jesus says in Luke 9, 23, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. We can't match the love of Christ, just to be clear. And that's not what we're doing. We're not trying to match the love of Christ. But he tells us, suffer like I suffered. Pick up your cross. It's a smaller cross. It's like a travel-sized one. It can't handle the weight of sin. It can't handle the weight of, of our shame. But it's something. We got to suffer on purpose so that people could come to know Jesus, so that people could enter into this story and see that that cross is for them. We've got to pick up our cross. We've got to sacrifice for that cross. We've got to, we've got to uh, give because of Jesus' generosity to us. Maybe be mocked. I don't know. Like what? Things could get ugly. Let's pick up our cross and let's follow Jesus. The church went on a, on a retreat last week with the elders and the staff uh, over in Sun River for a couple of days. And we're just talking about the church plant, this, this church. Just talking about plans for the future, what we want to do. Try to check in with the staff and elders and wives and see how we doing. Is everybody holding up okay? 
And it's, and it's been, um, if I can be honest, a, a bit of a struggle to plant another church. We got solid relationships at the Salem location that we just separated, that we just stretched, that we did, it feels like tearing to some people, those relationships. It's a, a little bit of suffering. But look at all these relationships. Oh my gosh, how many people are here? Is it 180? 186? Are you serious? This is insane. Yeah, super cool. This is what we want to do. I don't know that we're going to plant a church again here, at, you know, in the next year or something. But, like, this is the idea. We probably need a minute to bolster our relationships. Listen, we want to go deep together. We want to we be a church that sends not just church plants, but we want a church that sends you guys, that mobilizes and deploys you into the community, into Silverton and Mount Angel, Salem and Kaiser, wherever else, Woodburn. We want, we want to grow deep together, and we got a plan for that. We got a plan that we put together. I'm not going to roll out any details right now. I think we'll probably talk about them at the member, member meeting on March 13th. But like, we got a plan to disciple one another, to create tight relationships so that we can then stretch those relationships and maybe do a little tearing. But we're going to do it for the right reasons. We're going to do it because we want to create more relationships. We want to see more people come to know Jesus. We want to see more people come to know that that story of the cross is their story, not just a sad story. But we got to start with Jesus' cross before we go to our cross. If we, if we try to hang too much on, on our little tiny crosses, they're going to fall over and they're not going to hold up. So we want to be clear about that. Let's have the band and, and uh, communion come forward. Why don't I pray for us here while we go to communion? Heavenly Father, we, we love your story of the cross. We love everything about it. We thank you that you would send your son, that Jesus would come. You would endure all of this, even death on the cross for us I pray desperately for all of us including myself that I would not sit back and just watch the story I pray against that story just falling flat for, for me to not be indifferent to that cross for me to engage with that cross for me to enter into the story of whatever way that we can we pray that you would go before us that you would send the holy spirit to us to live inside of us to 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 be seized by the story for the cross to be laid upon us and then we pray for the sweetness to wash over us we pray for that that we would rejoice at the forgiveness that you offer that sin as sad as it is would, would bring the blood that would wash the sin away. What an epic story. It's almost too good to be true, it seems. But we love you and we know that this is truth. This is truth and this has the, the power to change our lives. We pray this in your name, amen. Would you guys jump up and grab some, uh, grab some communion?
As you sit down, I want you to just maybe sit quietly. Think through how you're implicated in this story. Don't run from your sin, please. Don't don't deny it in your head. I don't struggle with that. That's not my problem. I'm doing great. (laughs) Don't do that. That's not helpful, man. The more sin we lay at the foot of the cross, the bigger the cross is. The, 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 The better it is. The more blood will be shed. And the more grace and forgiveness we will receive. That doesn't mean to go torch your life so that the cross gets bigger. That's not what I mean. We got enough sin already. You don't have to go find more. But we ought to think through how the indifference of the cross is, is true of us. How we sit back and we listen and maybe it, just, maybe it just falls flat. Admit to that on some level. Own it. And then let's repent of that together. Let's remember that the, the blood of Jesus was shed to cover even the indifference, even the, the, the rebellion against God in our, in our indifference and not, not recognizing how great the cross really is. We'll never fully understand the greatness of the cross, but let's get a little further down the road. Let's see it. And we think through what Jesus did for us to cover that sin. Let's think about the body that was broken for us so that we would receive the greatest joy of all time. Let's take the body and do this in remembrance of him. And then we go to the the blood, man. That, oh, precious is the flow that made us white as snow. This is the flow. It's Jesus' blood on that cross. It's blood that we are responsible for shedding, but this is the blood that we need to cover our sins. Let's take this and do this in remembrance of him. Let's stand and worship together.